You're listening to Art and Magic, and I'm your host, Devin Walls. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have a really special conversation in store for you. I've been wanting to have a curator on the show since the very beginning, um, but I really wanted it to be somebody that I knew I would enjoy talking to, someone where I really vibed with you know, what they were about and what their interests are, and somebody who I felt was really standing for good things in the art world. And I am so excited and honored to have found and connected with Angelique Viscarando Laboy. Her and I had a really great conversation about what it really looks like to be a curator. I think as artists, we really don't have as much insight into that as I know I would like to because, you know, it's challenging to work in the art world no matter what side of the gate, so to speak, that you're on. And this conversation really gave me an insight into that. Um, We also talk about how to connect with curators, how to network, how to invite them over for studio visits, you know, what she looks for, all things that I think you'll be very interested to hear if you are an artist who's looking to get into more shows, make more connections, all of the above. Another thing we get to discuss is her interest in the aesthetics of optimism, which you'll hear her talk all about what that is and why it's been traditionally marginalized, why she thinks it's having a moment, and that felt so exciting for me because it's one of the things I love about Angelique's work and why I love following her and reading all of her writing. Uh, So if you follow the show, resonate with that aesthetic, which I think you might, I know you're going to be excited to hear what she has to say about that too. So if you don't already know her, Angelique Viscarando Laboy is a Los Angeles-based independent curator, writer, and arts administrator of contemporary art and craft. She most recently served as assistant curator at the Museum of Art and Design New York. She's curated exhibitions at the Center for Craft, Collarworks, the Jane Hartsook Gallery, Crocker Art Museum, Mindy Solomon Gallery, and has upcoming projects at Grounds for Sculpture. She's written for publications such as the Journal of Modern Craft and Culture Magazine and multiple exhibition catalogs. She holds a BA in art history from the University of Florida with minors in ceramics and anthropology and an MA from the Bard Graduate Center New York in decorative arts, design history, and material culture. So without further ado, I give you this amazing conversation with Angelique. So Angelique, could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do um, for people who don't know you yet, just giving a sense of, yeah, what you do. Sure. Uh, Well, I'm a curator and I'm a writer and kind of everything in between. Uh, So I am independent at the moment. And so jobs kind of come whenever they come, wherever they come. So I'm often not at home because I'm traveling somewhere to go do whatever the job is. And we, yes, it's curating. Yes, it's writing. But I also do other things like I do a lot of juring, for example. So that's another job that I do often. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the gist of it. Uh, I don't know if people, I assume that most people know what curating is, but I think maybe some people don't understand exactly what it is. I think they know what it is in theory, but not in actuality. So curating can look very differently depending on what it is or who it is for. 
So sometimes it's anything from like from scratch, I'm coming up with a proposal of some kind. I, you know, title and what it is and things like that. And sometimes there's open call components or it's just open call overall. So I'm still coming up with some type of theme. Um, and then people are applying and I'm picking people. Sometimes I'm just inviting artists to be a part of the show. Uh, yeah, so there's many different sort of formats to curating. Yeah, absolutely. And especially because you're an independent curator now, like I mm -hmm. imagine, you know, in my mind, it seems a little more straightforward to understand a curator who works like at a museum or, mm -hmm. or something, but I am really curious about, um, at this point, how you go about curating, like, do you, um, approach spaces and, and galleries where you would like to curate? Do people reach out to you? How do you go about getting work? If you don't mind me asking, because I think about this so much for myself on the artist side. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And I think so far for me, it's been more people have approached me to do something and I've, I've agreed. Uh, but I think really in the coming months, it's going to have to be a lot more on me to just pitch things to people. Um, and I think uh, from from other independent curators I know I know that they do a lot of pitching like they themselves like make proposals and just like submit them or talk to people to galleries or institutions and just make proposals of like hey I have this idea would you would you want to put it on mm -hmm. so I think there's it's a little bit or a lot of it of a hustle that's part of being an independent curator, which I'm still sort of transitioning to. I've only, I mean, I've been doing independent projects since 2020, but at the same time as I had a stable job at an institution. So I feel like it was different. It was like, I was like busting my ass to, to do the thing that work the seven hours a day at the office, but then put seven hours on top of that to do whatever other project I was working on. But now it's, it's just the independent work and it just takes a lot of self-discipline to, to be able to do that. Like it's, it's a lot different when you're in an institution, you know, you have your set hours kind of that you work through, you tend to have a lot of meetings and your, your schedule kind of revolves around that. But once you're independent, you're making your own hours, you're hopefully picking the projects that you want to work on but it it is also challenging because it's like yeah you have to wake up and you have to like sit down at the desk and go through your emails and work on whatever you have to work on because you're going to have less like less of a structure and less people kind of being on you to do things so it can be challenging to that way that it just it's and you have a lot less support also or or stable support that you're used to all institutions tend to have somebody who's going to help you out but it's it's a different dynamic because it's not somebody likely that you know or that you're used to working with so you don't know what you're gonna get but yeah it's it's extremely different I think for me like the pro is the whole like yeah I'm picking projects that I want to work on versus when you work in a museum oftentimes you get assigned projects and it's like whether you like it or not you have to do it so. Yeah. Is that why you made the switch? Was that part of your aspiration is you really wanted to um, be in control of putting on the exhibitions that you wanted? Yeah, partly. Partly it was, yeah, I wanted to honestly have time. When you're an institution, there's all these like sort of other things that come up that kind of take up all your time. And you're not able oftentimes to do like the research that you need to do for a project or just like 
just breathe. Uh, so there was that. There was that. There was also I feel I felt still feel like I needed a break from the institutional world, like like being a part of it. I mean, I'm still working with institutions, but in a more detached way. Uh, because I'm just being contracted to work for them versus just being in it every day. Institutions can be really exhausting, really draining. And so I need I needed a break. I was just feeling pretty burnt out from from just everything. And so I needed that break too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is it just very like bureaucratic inside the institution? Is that part of it? Yeah, I mean, there's there's politics that play into yeah. it and um I think, well, for me, I'm a, I'm a person of color. I'm a, I'm a young person of color, a woman. Sometimes, most of the time, it's just not so great in institutions mm. for that demographic. Um, I just feel like from the beginning, I was like kind of set up to not succeed. And even though I'm like really thankful for the opportunities I got and oh my God, I gained so much experience. I, I just, again, needed to step back, assess whether this was the world that I actually wanted to be in, um, maybe gain some, some new skills or tools on how to navigate that world, and then like decide whether I want to go back in there. Just, it's, it's a lot to handle. There's, yeah. There's, there's a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I have zero experience with institutions, so um, it's so interesting for me to hear like somebody who's worked in it and then chosen to go out on their own. But yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think most people will tell you that institutions can be really frustrating that you, you end up with really frustrating experiences. There's also very rewarding parts of it. Um, but I think for me, it was just like, is it like, is there a balance to the pros and cons? And like, I wasn't really feeling it. So, um, or feeling that there was a balance. So it was just a time to just, I just needed time. I just need time to think, reflect, and just kind of do things on my own and then and then see. And that's not to say that independent works any easier because it's not. It's And um, I think one of the most frustrating things about institutions is um, payments, like just salary and things like that. And it doesn't get that much better independently either. You are constantly having to fight for fair compensation and uh, a lot of people don't want to pay it. Yeah, totally. I mean, I hear so many similarities in just being an artist. And I mean, that makes sense because it's the art, the art world, the creative field. Um, and I think that that's a perception that, you know, maybe on the artist side, it does not that I, I, I've seen this directly, but maybe there's just this um, distanced idea that, you know, curators are holding more power and like they're the gatekeepers. And um, I don't know if I necessarily had the perception that it's easier, but I, I, I guess you just feel like on the artist side, it's so challenging. And so you, um, you're not also appreciating that it's so hard for everybody working in the arts, especially those who are like really wanting to do good. And um, like, I know you champion mostly BIPOC artists and um, yeah, like you care about being independent and, and all that. So um, yeah, it's just a good perspective for everybody to have. Like those of us who are trying to do good work, like it's an uphill battle pretty much for everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And, it, and like you were saying, I think people have this idea that curators have, hold a lot of power in well, Yes, 
there is power in in being a curator just because um, I like to say that curating is subjective and I think people need to be very clear on that because that's as much as one can try to be objective on on whatever subject a show is on ultimately so many factors play into what ends up being like that final roster that it's just kind of like objectivity goes out the window because really ultimately you're just kind of trying to put a show on and there's so many things that come into play um relationships with galleries or with the artists or with anybody involved in that process the the donor the lender uh budget such a huge part of what like affects what a what a show looks like in the end because it's all really about compromise so much compromise curators compromise so much in the process because it's like they really want to show one artist and like that one piece that they wanted is not available for x or y reason but it's like okay fine we'll just show this other piece even though it's not the piece i wanted but whatever you know but there, there is power in that the curators do ultimately kind of control the narrative that goes out there in the world. So yeah, so whatever ends up being on this play, it kind of gets cemented or like crystallized in a way. So there is power in that. But throughout the process, honestly, it feels very powerless. Mm, yeah, that I can, I mean, that makes so much sense that the person that is in one sense, having control over the narrative on their side, the job they're doing is just full of compromises and like, they're not feeling like they have power, but then when it's all said and done from the outside looking in, it's like, well, this is the narrative, the story that got highlighted and told. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So interesting. But it's, 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 it's a lot like the process itself. You just have to, you're like a mediator to so many people and things. And then depending on like who you're working with you like also answer to other people like if you're an institution you're gonna answer whoever your boss is and whoever the director or the board like you answer to so many people and you have to just validate so many all the decisions you make and sometimes again there's still compromise because it's like as much as you wanted one thing you just couldn't convince this person of it and then that's out the window Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you've answered this a bit already, but one of the things I did wanted to ask you was what your process is for um, creating a show. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that varies a lot depending on where and how you're doing the show, but maybe is if there's any sort of general, um, like outline you follow, I'm curious if you come up with the theme first and then you seek out artists or if you see a group of artists that inspire a theme and then you approach an institution, um, yeah, if there's anything there you could share. It's, it, yeah, like you're saying, it's all so different depending. I think my main method though is, is theme first. So whether it's like a word or an aesthetic or I don't know, a string of words together. Like I, I feel like that is where I start. And then from there, I kind of like, oh, I make a little group of artists. Like these artists fit whatever the narrative or the concept is and then go from there so it I feel like it's theme artist artwork and that's the order uh but again it depends because sometimes there's projects that have come to me already with titles with uh half the roster of the artists and then so I'm like backfilling and like making or like 
yeah, like whatever title it is, trying to make it make sense to me. Um, and then it's it's a lot of puzzling. I always say this also, it's that I I feel like a lot of the work that I'm doing is trying to make different like parts fit together somehow. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. Absolutely. And so um, maybe you could tell us, you know, I think I, I actually heard you say in another interview that, um, and I'm taking this a bit out of context, but I remember you saying that, you know, the way you, the stories that you have to tell, the way that's best for you to tell them is through other artists and, mm-hmm. through, and through curating shows. And I'm wondering if you could give us an idea of what those stories are. Like, what stories are you interested in telling? Very many random stories. <laughs> <laughs> very different stories. Like I don't feel like I have like a very specific narrative. I'll say like the overarching theme that I'm interested right now, it's what I call the aesthetics of optimism, uh, which to me is basically strategies that are under recognized in the art world. So things like humor, cuteness, the decorative, uh, just things that often get marginalized or dismissed. I'm really interested in how those things are actually really powerful. Um, And I think right now they're just having such a moment in the art world. And so I'm just trying to highlight that, bring attention to that. Uh, But I don't know, it's just, it's many different things though. It's just, but it's the, I think generally it will be, it would be the aesthetics that I'm mostly interested in. So I'm like, more interested in maximalism versus minimalism for example and so like i i would like to eventually look into a contemporary rococo for example i i went to grad school at the bar graduate center and my first year actually was focused on 18th century uh decorative arts which the Rococo falls under that. And after grad school, I, ha- I basically haven't touched that at all. So I'm kind of like dying to like bring it back and connect that part of my life with my contemporary life, uh, things like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I love this term, the aesthetics of optimism, because the first time I, I heard it mentioned through your podcast um, that you co-host called Clay and Color, plug for that, we will link it. It's a great show. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's the term I've been looking for. I, I resonate with this. I, I see myself in this and this is giving a name to something that I'm drawn to that I just, I hadn't really been able to name. And, um, you know, you mentioned in there that it's traditionally been marginalized, but it's, it's having this moment. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if you have any insight that you could share with us into why it's been marginalized in the past. Um, cause I certainly have a sense, you know, even now with it having this moment that, you know, super bright, fun, humorous, colorful work, um, maybe isn't going to be taken as seriously, even though it is having a moment. And, and I imagine that must come from somewhere. And so I'm wondering if you have any insight into that. And then also, um, why, why you think it's having a moment? Um, well, let me see, I'll answer why I think it's having a moment first. Okay. This is my theory, though. I don't know that this is yeah, true. Let's hear it. I think it's partly just how kind of grim the world has been I think it's like a literally like a pendulum swing to the reaction to that that people are just trying to find just more optimistic ways of addressing things like a lot of the work that I uh show is like or write about is 
not really about happy things necessarily, but it looks happy. So it's more about finding a way to address like very serious things through um, a, a different lens, a happier lens or a, a just a more accessible lens. And I, so I think it's, for me, it's partly that it's just like, we're in just like a shitty world. And so everybody's just like, okay, we need to find a different way because I'm already depressed. So I don't need to also make depressing artwork. Yeah. Um, I think there's partly that. Uh, I think also, of course, we are in the world of social media, Instagram, TikTok, and those things are more like attention grabbing. So I think that part of that, like why it's so successful at the moment, it's that there is that culture of like aesthetics happening in, in the social media world. Um, I think in terms of marginalization, um, many, many reasons. I mean, a lot of the time is misogynism and racism because it's, it's been the sort of like non-Western cultures or like uh, people of color who use more decorative things in their practices and women of course and so I think it's partly that you know it's like the art world has been a boys club for such a long time and at some point they made it so like you know minimalism is the thing to do or like these like sober colors I think it's like we're still trying to like break that apart or just like let go of that um but I think we're hopefully getting to it finally. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's that. It's like, you know, we, the art history canon, it was one thing that didn't leave room for anything else. And so now we're like trying to like really be revisionist and show that those, those things were always there, you know, like aesthetics of optimism or like decorative um, work has always been around. Like it's never stopped from being produced is just what kind of attention it's getting. Yes, absolutely. Thoroughly enjoyed hear, hearing <laughs> all of that. It makes so much sense. Um, yeah, I, I love the comment on like, it's always been made because I think we forget that. It's so easy to have this, this picture of art. It's almost just ingrained in our brains and, and it almost takes active thought to be like, wait, there was definitely other stuff happening other than what I've been told. Of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you know what? And I was also going to say that there was a certain level of privilege to make minimalist work. Mm -hmm. um, I think about that too, when I think about like home decor and I, I love watching architectural digest videos, like all this like celebrity homes and stuff. And I just get so mad when I see houses that are just like white, like why I, yeah. I just don't get it. And like, but there's, there's a privilege to that. It's like, it's like a, um, you're signaling class by having this minimalist, like white space. And so I feel like, I feel similarly about art that when you have, um, when you're able to just make minimalist work or like when saying that that is the thing to do, I feel that feels like a privileged perspective to me. A hundred percent. Yes. I, I hadn't thought about it like that, but now that you're saying that, especially when we're talking minimalism in particular, like aside from the, um, like kind of arrogance that it, it gives off. Mm -hmm. We're saying like, oh, I'm, I'm higher up by doing with less, which is like actually a thing that they're doing it by choice because they have yeah. so much money. It's, it's this like, 
it's weird. <laughs> yeah, and a, lo a lot of decorative work often uses um, like found objects or like, you know, like something like quilting or, you know, scraps, scraps of fabric or, or materials that aren't considered that like high art, like, I don't know, puff paint or something like that. And it's just like, well, not everybody has access to these other materials. And mm -hmm. so what they, you know, you want to make something that is maximalist. Awesome. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Like, why should that be considered less? It shouldn't. Yeah. It's just like, basically arbitrary perceptions that have costed like cost things like that to be considered to be less yeah I know that there's so many artists who are going to be listening to this who are really going to appreciate this conversation um because you know I've talked to so many artists who feel like oh my work will never be accepted because it's too um illustrative or it's too mm -hmm. colorful or it's too yeah too many craft it feels like a craft and um there is this sense where I think the, that, that external traditional art world thing <laughs> that is yeah. like many things, but I'm just naming it one thing for the sake of conversation, um, really makes you believe that your work is less than because it doesn't fit in, but you're kind of confused as to why you're like, wait, but why though? <laughs> but you just kind of start to believe it yourself. Um, yeah. And so we need curators like you who are, yeah. I I, I do think we are also just generally moving into a different space in which we are not as concerned with materials. I mean, I, so one of my specialties is ceramics, which for decades, it's been pretty marginalized and just not considered part of the, just like a material for art. But I think there's basically a generation of young artists who are just saying, I'm an artist, I just choose to work with clay. And that's gonna help people understand that clay is just a material like any other, just like, you know, it's like, it's like paint, except it takes a lot more work to, to like be able to it's use really it. really hard, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think, yeah, we're just generally just more accepting of what uh, an artwork can be also, mm -hmm. I think. I think also maybe things that are non-material has put have pushed people into accepting more materials. So something like we are also in an era of performance art and social work and just just super conceptual things. And so it's like, okay, well, if we can accept that as art, then we can also accept that art can be made out of anything. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm wondering. Um, you know, wanting to put shows together with this aesthetic, have you, has it felt like an uphill battle at all? Or have you found that spaces and people are like really welcoming of this aesthetic in this moment? I think it's, it's been good generally. I think people are very, are excited about it. And well, when they, well, when they come to me, usually it's like, that's what they expect. So right. it's fine. Um, but yeah, I think generally it's just, it's just what's, what's the thing right now mm -hmm. and um everybody seems open to it okay that's that's good to hear yeah I was yeah. I was wondering if you'd faced any pushback or felt like you really had to advocate for it if people were like no we love this right now <laughs> no I you know what the the most recent pushback I've gotten is in the ceramics world um I curated a show that had a couple videos in it and some people were like oh my god videos why videos and I was, you know, I just make the argument that, you know, ceramics is 
it's more than just an optic, like more than just like, oh, this final product, it can be so many things. And I see the field in, in the expanded um, or in an expanded capacity. And I feel like video, video sound performance can all be a part of it. Uh, but yeah, other than that, no, all good. Okay. That's, that's good to hear. I am, I am very happy to hear that. Um, okay. So switching gears just a little bit, I I'm curious for artists who, um, you know, have a curator that they would love to work with or Mm -hmm. would like to get in front of more curators. Um, I'm curious how you find artists and how you prefer to be approached or if there's, there's a place you look for artists and and what that developing that relationship kind of looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, Instagram, huge tool nowadays, I feel. Um, and I like often have like full on, like, I feel like Instagram friendships with artists. And then we like finally get to meet and it's like, yay, like we met in person finally. Uh, but, um, yes, I think Instagram is one good way you can always, I mean, in my case, I like, you can always send me an email and say, Hey, like, this is my work. Would you like to do a studio visit? Um, and I'm usually happy to do it if I, if I can find the time. Um, so there's that. Um, I think, you know, I, I often go, if there's an artist that like, I've been following for a while and like, don't know them, haven't seen their work in person and there gets to be, there's an opening around, then I try to go so I can see the work and just say, hi, Hey, nice to meet you. Um, cause just, you know, those relationships ultimately are good to have just because I mean to me in, like in my opinion the art world is really about who you know it's it's like maybe sad to say but it's really about who you know um, and sometimes just the fact that like you had that one studio visit that one time means that you know the curator remembers you and says oh you know I had that studio visit with that person and they would be perfect for this show and then there you go so it's like you have to as much as, or like as difficult as networking can be. I know it's not everybody's favorite. It's not my favorite either. Not my favorite, yeah. <laughs> so, but it, but it's 100% necessary. Like mm-hmm. you need to network, um, whether that is, yeah, through just Instagram saying, hey, nice to meet you, love your work, would love to do a studio visit, something like that, um, to like somehow meeting in person because you attended the same event then then great. Like I I really think it's important to do as many studio visits as possible or just like be in contact. Yeah, that's so good to hear, like coming from the other side, because I think I always wonder, and I I know artists always wonder, um, like, is it okay to reach out? Does everything, do I need to have an introduction through somebody else? Like, do I need to magically like (laughs) sneak up behind them at an opening and be like, oops, hello, you know? I mean, it might, it might not be okay for other people. Uh-huh. I, I get emails and I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Let's do a studio visit. You know, it's yeah. like, again, if I, if I'm able to accommodate you, then, then sure. Because you just never know. Or like, for example, like if you know that a person like is in, it's in your town or like it's coming to your town. It's like, Hey, I'm here. Would love to do a studio visit. If you have time, there mm-hmm. you go. Um, cause it's also nice to do studio visits in person. I, but I also do studio visits on zoom because 
everywhere, you know, artists are everywhere. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really good to make those connections. I, again, I don't know if it, it will work with everybody. There might be some people that might be like, ah, why are you cold emailing me? Uh, but I think, it's, I mean, for me, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. That's great to hear. So I'm curious then like, you know, going to step two, when you do the studio visit, what are the things you're looking for? What do you like to see in a studio visit? Mm -hmm. And kind of ultimately, um, like what, I'm trying to think of a better word for this, but I can't. So we'll just go with, um, like what impresses you and makes you want to work with the artist? (laughs) Hmm. Um, there's, multiple things I mean I think aesthetics are always gonna matter so it's it's whatever the work looks like but also for me the narrative is huge um I I think for me specifically I I like narrative based work like yes aesthetics are great but to me like there has to be something behind it and and that's not to say that all work has to be that way that's just what I'm, I naturally gravitate towards. And then in a studio visit, um, let me see. I, you know, if it's Zoom, then we'll look at pictures. If it's in person, we'll just look at the work. But I generally start by just asking them to just tell me about their work. Like, what's your work about? Like, what's your practice about? Um, and then after that, uh, we might talk about specific projects or specific artworks. And then, you know, there'll be questions, things might come to mind. I always like giving, if for some reason it reminds me of something like a a book specifically or an article or something like that, I always like telling them. Um, And then I always like ask them if they have specific questions for me, Um, just, you know, if they're looking for guidance in a specific direction or a specific project, then I like to be helpful or try to be helpful. So I always ask them that. Okay, great. So yeah, so what I'm really hearing, like from my side, is as the artist, it's really important to be able to communicate what your work's about, which is hard and something that I know I'm always trying to work on. And yeah, yeah. of course, that is, yes, it's hard. And, you know, artist statements are super hard to write and all those things. But yeah, I do think that artists really, and, and that's another reason why it's good to sort of practice your studio visits, like like half more and more. It's because you, you're kind of working on that elevator pitch for yourself and for your practice. And so I think that's, yeah, it's really important. And I, I, I will say that in studio visits, it's not necessarily that like everything is super concrete or like they have like very solidified ideas, actually, because studio visits can be a place to kind of workshop things or work through things. And so that way, um, that that's when an artist can ask a question like, I'm thinking about this thing and then, you know, a creator or whoever is visiting can give an opinion and you know what uh I think another thing that artists should do is they should have studio visits with each other Mm. um not just like yes like have studio visits with curators writers collectors all those people but also other artists because other artists might have strategies on how to like think through things or how to you know work on that communication about work um you know they might have it figured out Yeah, absolutely. I do find that just even practicing having people in my studio helps Mm -hmm. me a lot because you get, it's almost like when somebody enters the studio, I, I am 
briefly and vaguely experiencing my work through their eyes, which I can't do just on my own. So it almost, as long as they're a supportive person who likes art in some capacity, um, I find it helpful to almost have anybody in just to get that practice and um, have people in the space. Yeah. Yeah. And studio visits won't always go well. <laughs> There's some, you know, I've, you know, I've had times in which it's just like we're unable to connect like I'm just unable to understand what they're trying to say uh but I try to be as supportive as possible anyway uh but still again it's just like it's it's a practice thing for for all of us because it's, it's it takes practice for me too to you know go every time and like make sure that I'm asking questions or like constructive questions and making sure that whatever I'm saying is um you know, like if I have a critique, it's not coming off in a like harsh way that's gonna like hurt anybody's feelings because that is not my goal in a studio visit. But yeah, studio studio visits, it's it's an art form in yes. itself. I love it. That's I'm glad you brought that up because my follow-up question was gonna be, have you ever had a bad studio visit? And like, how can we learn from that artist that did not <laughs> did not do a good job during their visit? <laughs> um <laughs> I don't, well we have to name them <laughs> no I, I don't I don't even want to describe it because it might like oh okay okay you know but um I think for me it was a thing that that the narrative wasn't clicking with the artwork and like I I it was just like a misconnection for me at all fronts and I just and I also I was extremely exhausted by the time I, it was a day that I did multiple studio visits. And by the time I got to this person, I was just like, oh my God, I need a nap. Uh, but it, but it was also a thing that it was just like, it was just hard to understand how, how the visual made sense with the concept. And it was like three different concepts and none of them like worked with each other. And so, yeah, it, it was just challenging at that moment. Um, I felt terrible because I was just like, oh no, like, I don't know what to say to you right now. <laughs> uh, but, but um, yeah, it's just, it's just that thing of like, sometimes, sometimes you'll understand what somebody's saying and sometimes you won't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So it doesn't sound like that person was necessarily like underprepared for the visit, but just that their work wasn't for you at the time. Yeah, <laughs> let's something. say that. <laughs> maybe it needed some work. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's all so interesting. Um, okay. So I think that's pretty much what I wanted to cover. Yeah. If you have any other, um, just like advice for artists, I guess. So it sounds okay. like the key takeaways are like, reach out, um, have some things to say, do you like to see anything particular when you go in as far as the work? Like, do you like to see messy works in progress? Do you feel like you at least want to see a couple finished pieces? Like, is there anything there that you have preferences on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would, I, I'd like seeing some finished work, but um, I also like don't mind seeing work in progress because I just like, like talking through like, oh, so like, what are you doing here? And um, is it going to look like this? Things like that. So it's, it, I feel like it's like good to have a little bit of both, mm -hmm. um, in, in when you, when you actually are seeing the work and then at, in terms of advice for artists, I'd say like, 
de- it depends on like kind of like what path you're on because there's very many different paths but like I said networking is really important being trying to be organized and answering your emails I, I get it like I used to be really good at email and now I'm way worse at email because I am just at home um, so it's it's a lot harder and that's where where that discipline comes in but it's the same thing for artists. Like you need the discipline of, okay, um, every morning when I wake up, you know, I'm going to go make my coffee, my tea, whatever. And then I'm going to sit down and I'm going to look at my emails and I'm going to answer all my emails of the day. And then I'm going to go to the studio and work for the rest of the day. You know, like setting aside a time to answer those emails. Like, yeah, artists can be really difficult on email like it's like oh my god like you have to send them five emails before they reply sometimes and so really I always, that's so interesting yeah <laughs> I must and just I have like, all the type a artist friends <laughs> well it's true and there's type a and there's type b e yeah. and all the types um so but that's why I'm like please 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 like answer your emails um and I think it's also like you know like having a website that's like legible in the sense of like your website's going to tell me who you are, where you're based, and what you do. Like, pretty simply, but, like, just that information. Like, have it there. Because sometimes, that's another thing, like, when those compromises come in, sometimes the compromise is that they have, an artist has to be in a very specific city or in a very specific state or, you know? So it's, like, things like that can really help you. It's just, like, just be straightforward. Like, this is my name this is where I work (laughs) and this is what I do the end and here are some photos of my work cool yes simple okay um and then uh the other thing is like don't get discouraged when you apply to things and don't get them and I mean that for I don't know residencies open calls awards anything just don't get discouraged. So many factors go into whatever final decision was made. Um, and there's so usually, usually most places change jurors every year. And that means that when the next round comes around, you, you could get it because there's a different set of people, a different set of factors that go into place. Um, but yeah, and then that's another thing with those applications. Just get them proofread. Just, just get somebody else to look over your applications. Um, you would not believe the kinds of typos I found in those applications. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, get the best, you know, get good photos for all your applications, the best photos that you, that you could get. Um, I understand like not everybody has access to professional photography, but like, you know, smartphones are pretty amazing nowadays. Um, and you can get good photos. Just try to get a, something that like actually shows the work in a, in a good way, good lighting. Uh, photos are really important. And, you know, text is not always the most important thing in an application. But, for example, in an open call where there's like a very specific, specific theme, like really try to explain why your work sh- fits into that theme. Sometimes, you know, they just think works the the it's more like the aesthetics are great but then the narrative like I don't know how that fits into the concept and to me that's also like I feel like don't waste your time if it if the thing doesn't make sense like it's just like 
there it takes so much energy sometimes to do all these applications to all these different things so make sure it's the right thing for you yeah absolutely i I am so on board with that. I have such little energy that I just like, <laughs> I have to use it so wisely. Um, and yeah, so I imagine also just like really researching, like who is the curator? What have they done in the past? Does Definitely. your work fit with what they like? Like, <laughs> yeah. And like just reading all the instructions. Yeah. Really at the end of the day, like so many, I mean, at some point, you know, I used to manage uh, an award and at some point I almost was like, I'm going to start disqualifying people who don't read the instructions. I didn't do it, but I almost did it because I was just like, oh my God, why don't you read the instructions? Yeah. And then, like, it's more work for me who has to like review every single application um, before it goes to the jurors. Um, so yeah, there's things like that. Okay. <laughs> well, goodness is that should all be relatively simple. I think the harder things, or maybe not, I guess it just depends on the artist. But in my mind, the harder thing is like creating really strong work that has a strong narrative and Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. definitely so these the, things we can control. <laughs> yeah. And well, and, and exactly. And that's why I say them. It's like, you know, these are things that like you can do or like maybe try to get someone to help you with um, so that, yeah, you can have time to focus on what ultimately matters, which is the work that you're making and why you're making it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for all of that. I have really been wanting to get the other side, um, perspective on, because I think, you know, I talk about this stuff from my experience all the time, but I, I'm not the person on the, on the receiving end. And so it's really refreshing to have somebody who like does this for a living, looks at tons of work. They're like, this is just what we need and what we want to see. (laughs) Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Um, So one last question I wanted to ask you is what is your, what would be like your dream exhibition? Do you have something in mind? Um, Like if somebody was like, we, you can do anything, no compromises. uh, What would you want to (laughs) do? Well, I'm kind of working on it at the moment. Oh, great. Except there's definitely lots of compromises. (laughs) But I, I'm working on it. I'm working on a show called Funk U2, which brings together funk ceramics with contemporary artwork. It's it's cool. sort of like a baby of mine that I've been trying to put out into the world for like, I don't know, it's been like four years now, something like that. And it's finally coming together and it's going to open in March of next year at MAD, so, which is where I used to work. Um, it's my like last project for MAD. Uh, but I feel like it's like you just have multiple dreams that you work towards and like once they're open, then you move on to the next thing. I'm not sure what my next one looks like, but but that's the one that I'm working on right now. Amazing. That's so great. I was kind of hoping you were going to say that. I was like, there's a good chance she's going to be like, well, it's the next thing I'm doing. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it's like, you know, a lot of the aesthetics of optimism, like a lot of the artists that have been featured in my podcast will be part of that show. Oh, amazing. That's going to be a good show. Um, Hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) But I I think, you know, working in the same vein at some point, um, like I probably want to do a couple things under like the umbrella of the aesthetics of optimism. Like I think definitely something on cuteness at some point. And I've always wanted to do something on glitter. Yes. Things like that. Yes. I, <laughs> I, I, I need to see that when you do the glitter one. I, I love glitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much again. Your time is so valuable. Um, And yeah, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective with us. 
Thank you so much. All right. So much gratitude for Angelique taking the time to come on the show and talk to us. I really appreciated having her insight on here. Um, One thing I did do a little plug for in the middle of the conversation, but I want to really make sure to highlight is her podcast that she co-hosts called Clay in Color. It is a fantastic, inspiring resource. Um, It does center around ceramics, but I even if you're not as interested in 3D work or sculpture, I think the conversations are really enriching and interesting, and I love all of the artists that they choose to feature. So there will be a link to that in the show notes. Make sure to check that out, um, as well as her writing and her website, and you can follow her on Instagram as well. And that is all I have for you in store for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, if you would like to support the show, you can do so by hitting the five stars and giving us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can also tag and share this episode on Instagram. It's really how we get the word out to other artists and creatives like yourself. Be sure to tag us at Art and Magic Podcast and follow us there if you don't already. Uh, and if you just can't get enough of the show, there's also a Patreon where there is a library of bonus episodes that you cannot access anywhere else. All of that in the link in the show notes. So thank you so much for being here and I'll see you next time. <laughs>